Requesting connection. Established. Encrypted. We're live. The show you've been asking for. Advice, technology, and community. Linux first, all others second. This is Ask Noah. Live from Ultimate Technologies, the Ask Noah show starts right now. This is the show where we can do all the things in Linux they said could be done and take your questions on how to do the same. The phone lines are open this hour to be a part of the program. It's a free call. It's 1-855-450-NOAH. 1-855-450-6624 or send an email to live at asknoahshow.com. My name is Noah Chalai. I'm most delighted to be here with you as another episode of the Ask Noah Show kicks off this hour. I, uh... <laughs> This is uh, this is by far the, the closest we've ever cut it to the wire. I apologize to everybody. I um, my my day job uh, gets done at six p.m. and the show starts at six p.m. and I just kind of bank or count on the fact that we never have a uh, service call that's going to actually take the full two hours that we schedule it for. And today we literally did. And uh, I walked in here with about oh, I don't know. <clears throat> 45 seconds before before I was supposed to get on the air. And so uh, I'm scrambling to just get the uh, the final particulars in order uh, to do the show. And I, I apologize for that, for not uh, for not being better prepared. Um, this is my first, uh, my, my first week back after uh, self. And uh, it was, it was an incredible trip. It was a fun trip, but it was an exhausting trip. And of course, as usual, I come home with a case of the con crud. So, that's not that's not the best, but I'm gonna power through. Uh, I'm gonna, we're gonna make it work, and we have a really great show for you lined up, and uh, we've got some really cool technology that we're gonna share with you, and hopefully a new way that you can interact with us here at the Ask No Show. Of course, your calls go to the front of the line, so if you want to give us a call at one eight five five four fifty no, that's eight five five four five zero six six two four. Send an email to live at asknoahshow.com. Of course, we'll take that right away. You know, in 2009, when I followed the paperwork to start Ultra Speed, I had a number of things to get done right off the bat. And that's, I think that's a theme we're going to come revisit a couple of times over the next few episodes of the Ask Noah Show as we launch into our small business episodes um, and do a small business theme. That was a huge success. You guys seem to have really liked that. And um, I... I apologize. Uh, apparently, we have an issue with our audio. Is that uh, is that correct, guys? If there is an issue with the audio, hopefully, uh, hopefully, we have that resolved. I, I apologize again. I, I got in a little bit late. So, in two thousand nine, we filed the paperwork, and there is a number of different things that we have to we I had to get done to actually get the uh to get the business off the ground and you know we are planning another small uh business theme hour and uh, as i kind of went through that one of the things that one of the overall themes that seems to come up from people is how do you start a successful business how do you get something off the ground how does that work <clears throat> and so that's one of those things that we're going to look at and that's one of those things that we're going to try to address for you uh and so as i was preparing this episode, I, I kind of had that in mind. I thought, what are some of the tools that everybody needs to actually get their business off the ground? And by far, one of the most important things that every business needs is a phone number. They have to have a way for customers to call you. Now, that's probably more or was more important back in 2009 than it is today. I could actually see an IT contract firm that didn't have a phone number today and did everything with tickets over email. 
I think a lot of people have gotten used to that. I think a lot of people have gotten used to the inline chat service for their bank or the inline chat service or the ticket system for Amazon or what have you. I think there's less of a need and less of a drive to have that phone number to talk to another human being. But back in 2009, that was essential. And when I started to look for solutions, there really wasn't I couldn't find a good one out there. I mean, I started to look around at business phone systems and obviously I wasn't going to pay, you know, $60 a month for an analog phone system. And then I had to pay somebody to sit there to, to, to monitor it the entire time. I mean, for crying out loud, I'd quit my job, didn't have really any money. I had 200 bucks in the bank trying to make this work. So how, how was that going to work? And I, I found a service. It was a web-based service that basically what it was, was they forwarded calls to various cell phones. And you, so you could vote forward the calls to various home phones or various cell phones. And so you could have your team spread out across the United States. You could take all those calls in one place. Um, and, and so when I, when I looked at that, the cost of it was 20 or 30 bucks a month. And so that's what we started with at Delta Speed Technologies. And quickly we realized, first of all, the system wasn't that great. The scheduling part of it didn't work very well. Oftentimes it would drop calls if the calls were going through to the cell phones. Some cell phones wouldn't even work or wouldn't accept the calls. So there were a number of different issues with that particular, if we couldn't take text messages, so people would text the number and you, couldn't, you, weren't be able, you wouldn't be able to get that text. So there were a number of different problems that we ran into. And uh, then later that year, uh, I, I was working for a client and they asked me if I would attend LinuxCon that year. And I don't remember what the theme of LinuxCon was, but it particularly applied to their industry. And they said, so we want to pay you to go. And so I, I got paid a pretty hefty fee to, uh, and plus all the expenses were covered to go to LinuxCon. And uh, so I was there primarily for them, but I did have a chance to catch a talk on Asterix. And, uh, and I learned about Asterix. Now, if you're not familiar with what Asterix is, Asterix is a, it's a very powerful software package that is, is specifically designed for handling voice over IP. So taking the voice pack, taking voice, audio voice, encoding that into IP packets and sending them across a network. And uh, it found its place primarily in the phone system as a replacement for traditional PBX phone systems. And Asterix, I compared a lot to working with MySQL from the command line. It's incredibly powerful, but it's not terribly beautiful. So it's one of those things where you have the back end is, is incredibly powerful and you can do a lot with it, but you have to understand the, all of the commands and the config files and where to find them and how to create a, you know, a phone extension by writing basically a config file, so on and so forth. And so what the, what the fine open source folks have done, because Asterix, of course, is, a, is an open source project, they partnered with a group of people that designed a front end for Asterix. Now, as you might expect in the open source community, we can never just have one because if one is good, two is great. And if two is great, three is something better, right? So we have a lot of different organizations that have started to compete with each other to create a better front end or a better wrapper around the Asterix project. And so what we found is today you have a number of different projects and they all kind of do the same thing. A lot of them have been built on top of one another or built with one another in mind or have forked from one another's source code, but they all kind of do the same thing. And that is what is commonly, or I commonly grip them all together, even though that'll upset some of the people that are in the industry, free PBX. And free PBX is that pretty layer that sits over Asterix. Now, there are a number of different individual versions of free PBX or Asterix, but they, they kind of all do the same thing. And uh, 
the, the, what, why I bring that up or why I make that distinction is because oftentimes when you're going to look for a supporter, you're going to look for help. It's important to understand that nine out of 10 times, if you see something like PBX in a flash or free, free PBX or asterisk. Now, all of these things are actually more or less interchangeable. Again, they're not identical projects. So it's, I'm not saying that everything is exactly the same, but they're all kind of built on the same ideas. And so oftentimes, if a troubleshooting step works on one, it'll work on another one. So I just lay that out there so you can have that as we go forward in this discussion. The advantage of FreePBX or Asterix, as I'm going to call it, the rest of the, uh, the rest of the show segment, is that it runs on an IP standard or a standard protocol called SIP, which is the Session Initiation Protocol. Now, the interesting thing about SIP is that it is a universal standard that somehow everybody has adopted. And if you've noticed, in the last couple of years, it's very difficult to get anybody to adopt a standard, right? Like, we had the email standard, and everybody was comfortable having multiple mail servers, and we all had these common exchanges, and now Google can email Yahoo, and Yahoo can email, uh, you know, uh, AltaSpeed or FastMail or whatever, right? And when we all have these different email servers, but they all speak a common language, and so they can all intercommunicate. And what you find is, particularly in 2018, the, the further we go is we go from these service-specific, I'm sorry, industry-specific standards to service-specific standards. So I'll give you an example. In, we don't have a discussion of which uh, XMPP service to use. We have a discussion of which service to sign up for? Should you sign up for Slack or should you sign up for Riot or should you sign up for Telegram or should you sign up for, you know, and all of these are individual services. Now, I understand that Riot ties into Matrix and Matrix, you know, has, is a back end. You can host it yourself, all of that stuff. But the point is that we don't have a common communication standard. We do have a common communication standard, but as a society, we've just decided that we don't like using those standards. And so we try to pivot to using given services. And what that has led to is this huge fragmentation of, of an ability for interoperability. And by some miracle, SIP did not fall subject to that. SIP actually has widely become the go-to standard in the voice community. Now, one of the things that you find when you go with open standards is that you, we all have to agree on a common common denominator of features to support and features to implement. And we all have to implement those features in the same way. So for example, when I transfer a call from one extension to the other, that absolutely 100% has to work on every SIP device and every SIP service. So it doesn't matter if it's PBX in a flash or if it's Asterix now, or if it's a Cisco phone or if it's a Polycom phone, when a call is transferred from one extension to the other, everything in that sphere has to support that particular function. And what that means is it, it limits innovation to a certain extent because it means that anytime we want to add a feature, we have to all agree that we're all going to support this next feature or none of us can implement it. And so that has always been one of the selling points of Cisco phones or um, Avaya. We were an Avaya partner for a while. Uh, the, the, the selling point for those phones is that when they want to implement something, they can implement it right away. And one of the ways that our Avaya rep demonstrated this to me was with the Avaya intercom feature. So when you click on the intercom button on an Avaya phone system, it instantaneously, inter if you, you know, let's say you page all of the phones, it instantaneously grabs the attention of every phone that is connected to that system. I mean, it, it literally is instantaneous. About Before you can even get your finger off the button, it has 
paged all of those other phones. Well, with a SIP phone, obviously it has to send you know, the appropriate data string along, and then every phone is going to respond to that data string just a little bit differently. And so I wouldn't say it's slow by any means, but it's certainly not instantaneous. You push the button, the thing lights up. It maybe takes a second or two, and then all of the phones respond, and then you can continue on with your page. But the point is, on a head-to-head comparison, the Avaya feature set oftentimes has more robust features and often will has a little bit more performance behind it than the than the generic standard does. And the reason I bring that up is because I constantly see that talking point or that discussion point left out. Now I'm fine. I'm perfectly fine and, and I put my money where my mouth is. We don't have we we used to work with the Via systems when we made the transition to SIP. Uh, we have since dumped all of that and all of our phones here at AltaSpeed are uh, SIP phones. It's a mixture of Polycom and Cisco and Grandstream. But they're they're all SIP uh, compatible phones and uh, we I'm going to get into it in a little bit but we use a lot of SIP stuff for uh, this broadcast for this very show so I believe in in this technology and I have just made a conscious decision that limiting that feature set is beneficial to me in the long run sometimes less is more because at the end of the day I have a wider range of hardware to choose from I have more stability and actually what you find is you wind up with more features overall because they're not constantly reinventing the wheel because we're all working together and and kind of growing up together. So there's at any point in time, you might have had one company that had a couple harebrained features here or there. But overall, when you when you compare apples to apples, what you'll find is that SIP in general is growing as a feature set, whereas all of those other companies are literally dying off in the the, you know, in the case of Avaya. Um, But I I want to make that clear that there that when you're looking at when you're looking at these phone systems, when you're looking at what system to go with, understand that there are some there are some compromises to be made in a certain regard. Now that's being addressed by another project that is not open source, but is a huge, has a a huge support from uh, the people that provided our phone system here at the Ask Noah show, which by the way, you can call and join the discussion at 855-450-NOAH. That's 855-450-6624. They are a huge fan of a project called 3CX. And we'll have a link to 3CX in the show notes, as well as an, as well as a link to a previous episode where we had one of the owners of Vox Telesis on where he talked about 3CX. And 3CX is one of those systems that it is both compatible with the SIP standard, but is not, it goes above and beyond, so to speak. It, they have a lot of features that only exist in 3CX and they have their own app for it, for the smartphones and stuff like that. And so they're able to get some of, they, they're able to get some of that performance back while still being backwards compatible with an open standard. So if you want the best of both worlds, that might be a way to go too. Me personally, I tend to stick to the pure open source top to bottom uh, stack and I will go into why a little bit later in the show, but I have not been burned by it. It's actually worked out very, very well and I'm, I'm very happy with the product that we've wound up with with uh, free PBX. So I, I, I talked a little bit about how we actually use SIP for this very show. The way that we have structured all of the broadcast equipment, and you'll understand this if you had seen my talk at Southeast Linux Fest last Sunday. Uh, If not, that talk should be available online at some point. But I talked about how we actually, from the microphone, encode all of our audio as audio packets and then send that around the network so we're we're constantly we're sending everything as as a network stream nothing is there's no physical audio cables except for the microphone to these these audio encoders that we have uh and every and then obviously back to the headphones but everything else up to the transmitter site where it's transmitted as an fm is all being done as 
a raw, uncompressed audio in IP packets. And that is essentially, not essentially, it is an RTP stream that is being sent over SIP. And that is, so when we do a remote broadcast, when you hear us doing a remote broadcast, now sometimes depending on the bandwidth, we have to compress that audio down just a little bit, um, but we use wideband codecs that sound very, very good. And so our goal is to make it so that you never know if we're remote unless we tell you. In fact, there have been the first couple of times we did a remote broadcast, when I was listening to the playback, it was it was so hard to tell that we were doing a remote broadcast that I actually went back and we bought headsets so that when we go out and do a remote broadcast, it cuts the it cuts the bandwidth down a little bit so it sounds a little bit more tinny. It sounds a little bit more sportcaster like. And so it's and then you get you mix that in with the background noise of a conference and then, then it really sounds like a, a live remote broadcast. And so we do it almost as kind of an effect thing. Um, but it's a conscious decision. We have the ability to do just as high a quality I mean, we frequently do, do just as high of a quality broadcast from anywhere in the world that we do right here from the studio. And we're doing that all with SIP. And underlying SIP, the thing that is actually brokering the connection back into the studio, is in fact an Asterix PBX. So the the use case, even if you're not interested in traditional phones, because there's going to be some of you out there that are saying, hey, you know what? I really don't have a need for phone system, man. I just, I'm happy with my cell phone, or I'm good with texting, or I really like email. There's a lot of other things that Asterix can do, as we're going to go into at uh, later in the show. In fact, one of the ways we're going to look at implementing right here at the Ask Noah show to provide a new way for people that are not in the U.S. to inter interact with us and be able to ask questions and become a part of the program. <clears throat> if you didn't want to call 855-450-NOAH because you could do that and the you know phone lines are open. So the biggest advantage of SIP is that it is interoperable with a plethora of brands. So here at AltaSpeed, we use primarily use Cisco and Polycom. So I have a Polycom phone that sits in my office and I have a Cisco phone that sits at my house. Between those two, I, I really like the, the, uh, the, the Cisco G series, like the 504G. We'll have a link to those in the show notes as well. Um, but if, if, you're, if, you're, if you're looking for a, I just want to get into SIP and I want a phone to buy, what's a good phone to buy? That's the phone. One, it has a web config. It's super easy to program. You don't have to worry about digit maps. If you don't know what a digit map is, definitely don't buy the Polycom. And if you don't like regular expressions, uh, don't try to research what a digit map is. But they, but we at my uh, my dad's clinic, he's using my telephones. That's, of course, on a free PBX system. I have a client that is all Yealink, which is a higher-end Chinese knockoff of the Cisco or Polycoms, but they work very well. In fact, I have a Yealink cordless I really like. Grandstream is like the budget brand entry level piece of junk, $29, but it works brand. And those are available on Amazon for 20. So for 29 bucks, you can get an IP phone system. And it's still, even that $29 phone still sounds better than a traditional landline. Of course, when you call 1-855-450-NOAA, that's of course connected to a SIP trunk that's coming into to our system through an asterisk now box. Now, I, I, like I said, there are a number of different projects that you could choose from. You could choose PBX in a flash. You could choose Asterix now. You could choose regular free PBX. You could install Asterix and configure it by hand, I guess, if you wanted to. So the question becomes, which one of those projects would you want to use if you're going to set something like this up? Now, I have recommended since day one, and I continue to recommend Asterix now. And why do I recommend Asterix now? Well, Asterix now is what I call an appliance. It's a lot like FreeNAS. Yes, you can install CentOS, and then on top of CentOS, install all of the packages to get Asterix up and running. And then on top of that, you could install all of the packages to get free, PBX, free, free, 
ah, excuse me, free PBX up and running. And then you could manage all of that and maintain all of that and update all of that. And, and it would technically work, I suppose. But it sounds like a lot of work and I've never done it. So what I have done is I download the Asterix Now ISO and you stick it into a server and you click install. And about 45 seconds later, or maybe two minutes later, you have a PBX server. You let it boot back up. You look at the IP address that it spits out. You put that into your web browser and you're done. And to me, that is, that's, that's about as far as I want to go when managing PBX. I don't actually care about dealing with all the package stuff. I don't really want to treat it like a computer. I'd rather treat it like an appliance, which brings me to hosting providers. Now we did an episode. We'll have a link to that episode in the show notes where we reviewed different virtual private server hosting companies. And only one that I'm aware of allows you to custom upload an ISO and then install an operating system on your VM based on that ISO, which means you don't have any custom kernels, you don't have any custom software, there's no custom, well, it wasn't really Ubuntu, it's fake Ubuntu, none of that. You literally upload your own ISO and you run it. And that is Voltaire, V-U-L-T-R.com. You can uh, spin up a $5 uh, uh, a VPS and upload your ISO and install Asterix now and have it running, quote unquote, in the cloud. Now, do note about security, there, free PBX and Asterix, probably less today than it was a couple of years ago, but there is a, there is a huge hunt to find those boxes, compromise them, and use them for malicious purposes, for spam calling, to, for people in less fortunate countries to call their relatives, all sorts of weird things. And that all goes on uh, with free PBX boxes. So you need to, you, you want to be a little bit careful anytime you're putting one of those boxes live on the internet. So what I would suggest doing is create some very specific firewall rules that only allow you from your IP address to connect to that box. I would change the default port. I would, uh, you know, only support SSH. I would disable the, the, uh, the web config, turn it on only when you need it, stuff like that. Uh, Free PBX primarily is designed to be run behind a firewall, although they do have a guide for hardening free PBX if you're going to, or Asterix now, if you're going to run it on the cloud. So there are ways to do it, varying degrees of safety. I have to tell you, if you contact your SIP, your trunk provider, and, uh, you know, they charged up 200 bucks in uh, false phone calls, and you said, yeah, I threw it up on a, on a, on a cloud and I just didn't really pay attention to it and uh, somebody logged, they're not going to have a lot of sympathy for you. So most of these places have a most of these places have a, a fraud control thing inside of their web UI that allows you to uh, restrict or lock down what people are able to do, and we would of course suggest that you uh, that you you take advantage of that. So once you install this free PBX appliance, now you have a intercom system. Basically, you can create phone extensions right in the web UI, and uh, those phone extensions can call each other. And so you can have phone conversations within your SIP system. Um, but that's not terribly useful, right? You'd like to be able to talk to the outside world. Well, to talk to the outside world, you need to connect into the traditional phone system. And so what we call that is a SIP trunk. And what a SIP trunk is, is, is a connection to the outside world. And the, that is, a, of course, a service that you have to pay a monthly fee for. And uh, one of the one of the businesses, probably the best business that provides that, is a company out of Fargo, North Dakota called Vox Telesis. And I'm friends with the owner. And so when we started the Ask Noah show, he said, "Yeah, you're going to need some phone stuff. Let me uh, let me provide you with a really high end phone system that's going to work. That's built specifically for doing your talk show." And uh, they just car blanche 
gave a hat it sent. I mean, just showed up here in a box. Uh, it was it was super super kind, and I, I don't know if I've done enough to thank them on the year, but we would we literally would not be doing the show without their help. So a huge thank you to them. And uh, as if I couldn't push my luck any further, I went back to him right before Southeast Linux Fest. I said, I'm planning this episode. We're talking about uh, doing an episode on VoIP and SIP and all of that. Is there any sort of discount that you could offer? You know, because, you know, we don't have like a sponsor agreement or anything like that. He doesn't owe me anything and I don't owe him anything. But, you know, we just he's just a nice guy. And he said, yeah, well, I could do something like that. And so they put a deal together, voxtelesis.com slash ask Noah, and they're going to give you 25 bucks for free. So you can try out your uh, a, a SIP. If you want a SIP provider to use, if you want to try the things that I'm showing you, there are ways that you can do it without actually costing any money the first couple months. So you can see if it's for you and see if you like it. Now, for me, I don't you. I mean, our SIP trunk costs us, you know, four, four bucks a month, five bucks a month. Uh, and we have a fairly decent call volume. So because it's like a penny a minute. So uh, if if you're not using it heavily, that will last you a long time. So huge thank you to them for providing that. And hopefully that will get you a start. Now, as I started to dig into Asterix and FreePBX and all of the cool things that it could do, like I said, I've started to expand. So I've started, we've started to use it for the broadcast system. And I've since set phone systems up for other clients, including a listener of the show, Chris DeLuca, who was guest hosting with me for our small business theme hour. And, uh, and so he actually was able to get much higher quality phone audio from his house through his FreePBX system than he could ever get through a cell phone. So if he has time, he's going to join us and you'll be able to hear exactly the difference between the audio quality between that and uh, and and just a regular landline or a regular cell phone. And uh, the second thing that we have started to play with is tying that into ham radio, because it turns out Asterix and the 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 fundamental components that allow us to encode audio over IP and then send them over ham radio uh, uh, that that same functionality can be used in ham radio and they are using it in ham radio. And it has become the central point for something called DMR, or digital mobile radio. I'm going to get to that in just a moment. We have a call coming in and calls from California. Hey, Ann, welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Hi, Noah. I got another question about super old technology other than ham radio. Okay. Um, you, may, you remember, or did you ever use news groups? Yeah, way back in the day. Yeah, I did. Oh, yeah, right. Old technology. Okay, I'm yes, with you. Yes. Yeah, they're still around. There's a few of them still going on. And a while ago, you talked about having uh, like a $99 uh, cheapo server you can stick on your rack at home that you got, you order from a guy that on eBay and he has his website and everything. Yep. Uh, what, what stops me from do, getting one of those, sticking it at home, and, and putting on a news group protocol because it's well established. You have to log on to it and everything, and then just connect my hard drive to it, and then I could have my own personal media just log into it and download it wherever I am. So I, in a sense, make my own news group. And then just wherever I am, I can download what I need. It doesn't matter how good the connection is. I don't have to stream it. If I'm in an area that has really poor connection, maybe a bad hotel Wi-Fi or whatever, I can still download my movie, watch my movie or what have you. You know, um, is that a feasible type of thing, you think? Absolutely. Absolutely. It is. In fact, in fact, not only is it feasible, that is actually how I now consume a lot of my podcasts. I'll give you an antidotal story that you didn't ask for. Um, the, I, I, there are, there are a couple podcasts that I listen to and the way that most podcasts are distributed is through our, in RSS. So it, it, essentially it's, it's like a news feed and, and it downloads the, then the latest episode of whatever podcast you're listening to. And, um, as that RSS feed grows and the back catalog grows, 
the maintainers of it try to trim it a little bit and try to, to try to keep that back catalog from, from getting so huge. Well, the problem is when they do that is there's a couple of them that I listen to that they trim it, in my personal humble opinion, a little bit too tight. So they go back like four episodes and that's it. And anything past that, it's gone out of the RSS feed. And so I can't get the audio feed of that particular podcast anymore. And so what I have gone to doing is I use a, 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 a software package called PodGet and I run it on my own. Actually, it is one of those little Mr. Ackable's $5 server or uh, $99 servers. And, uh, and it, I call it my utility server and it, and it sits and just sits there and runs and downloads all of my podcasts. And then I actually use a, let me see, I, I got my phone right here. I use a program called on my phone to get them off of the, and FTP, A-N-D FTP. I use a program called and FTP which um, supports uh, key-based SSH authentication. And I log into that my, my podcast downloader and I actually download all of my podcasts then from that server onto my phone. But like you said, even if the internet ceased to exist tomorrow, whatever the last, actually all of the episodes that have ever been downloaded, I can always go on to my local network. I can always log onto my Wi-Fi and copy all of that media onto my phone or listen to it on my Volumio box or play it on my NVIDIA TV shield. None of those things require the cloud or the internet or any of those things. After I've pulled them off the internet, I have them forever. And as has happened a couple of times with people I listen to, for one reason or another, either they're trying to trim that RSS feed or there have been a couple of times somebody has tried to pull an episode because it was controversial or something like that. I still have the option of listening to it because it downloaded. I, I have it. Yeah, I use a program called G Potter. I don't know if you use know of that one. It's open source. Yep. Have yeah. G Potter is yeah. great. Yeah. The the and issue. So I, no, go ahead. I love it. No, I love it because you can do YouTube's. I never go to YouTube proper unless I'm subscribing to a new channel mm -hmm. or something. But I I never watch any YouTube's on their actual Google own YouTube. G Potter just downloads the shows that I want to subscribe to. Yeah. So I don't have to worry about clicking the little bell or any of that stupid stuff. Yep. Yeah. G Potter is fantastic. The only issue I ran into with G Potter is I wanted a, like, so you're talking about this $99 server thing. I didn't want to have to, uh, there's, it does more than, obviously, I'm not going to tie a whole $99 server up just to download podcasts. Uh, and I'm not going to tie up a whole hard drive just to download a podcast, but so it does other things and I didn't want to waste all of the resources on a graphical environment. So I wanted something that could just run as uh, from the command line. So it could one be scripted. So I didn't have to touch it or mess with it. It would just automatically happen. And then two, because I wanted to, to consume as little resources as possible, especially on those, those $99 boxes, they're atom boxes. So they, you know, if you start running a desktop environment on it, you start to eat up RAM pretty quickly and you certainly start to eat up CPU power that you don't really have. So for those reasons, I wanted to run it as a headless thing, but actually, so it's funny that, so the rerun stream at jblive.tv, if you watch jblive.tv, anytime that a show isn't live, the episode that you're watching was downloaded with gpotter. It literally down, gpotter downloads the episode. It goes into a special watch folder. And then once a week, uh, well, you'd have to be Chris at this point, uh, Chris opens up VLC and opens that little watch folder up and it starts playing all of the episodes again. So that's actually how the network is, is rerunning. Yep. G Potter. All right. Thank you. Oh, and, and, and a, a plug for un, um, um, what is it? Un, unfiltered. You don't talk about that show enough, but anyway, yes, uh, I love that show too, but all righty. <laughs> yes. I, yeah. I appreciate the, I appreciate the, I appreciate the call, and I, I will use that as a standoff to talk about Unfiltered for just a second. We don't talk enough about it. Unfiltered, if you... 
Unfilter is a unique show because what Unfilter does is they take news and politics and they condense it down into a way that it doesn't matter what side of the aisle you're on you will feel like they are siding with you or taking your side. And it's, that is a talent that I have not yet mastered, but it's something that someday I'm, I'm going to have Chris teach me how to do. Because, I mean, it's, it's hilarious when you look through the inbox of feedback from Unfiltered. You'll literally have people to the far right and to the far left both saying either, man, I can't believe how far to the right you are, to the left you are, and, and it's on both sides. you got people on the right that are saying, yeah, he's totally to the left, or he's totally to the right, and you got people on the left saying he's totally to the left, or he's totally to the right. So th that tells you that if they do a pretty good job of irritating both sides, that's probably the first step that they're going in the right direction. And it is, I like all of the shows that Jupiter Broadcasting does. I'm proud of all of the content that we do. I, uh, I, I'm very proud to wear my Jupiter Broadcasting polo, my Jupiter Broadcasting uh, t-shirt. I'm break out the last t-shirt from time to time. Uh, so I'm proud of the work that we do here, but Unfilter is, it, it partly is just because of the way that the, the timing lays out because it's the only show that Jupiter Broadcasting does that's li that's not my show, that's live, that is after the time that I get off work. But Unfilter is the one show I don't miss. Uh, I watch it live every week that it's there. In fact, <laughs> when I was on my way to Linux Fest Northwest, I was on the plane ride and um, the, the way that the scheduling had worked out, I was... I was literally going to be driving. Uh, I was waiting for my flight, and so I was driving around L.A. waiting to get to board a plane Wednesday night. And uh, I'm waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And all right, time to put on filter on. So I, I, I turn it on, and I'm waiting, and no one filter, and no one filter. And then finally, I was a little upset. I thought, well, whatever, he'll get it out. And so I, I get on the plane, and I thought, well, at least by the time I get to the plane ride, because he usually gets the show out, you know, later that night. At least I can download it and listen to it on the way in. No one filter. And Thursday morning comes. And I'm driving from the the uh, the airport to the studio, no unfiltered. <laughs> I get there, I'm Chris. What happened to unfiltered? He's like, I'm sorry, we had a scheduling thing and it's not coming out. But it, it, out of all the shows, that's the one show I set time aside to watch. So if you haven't if you haven't checked out unfiltered, if you have any interest in politics, particularly if you have interest in politics that that isn't politicized, unfiltered be the show to check out. And that's Wednesdays, JBLive.tv. You can get more information at JupiterBroadcasting.com/calendar. Again, open phones this hour, 1-855-450-NOAID, 455 450 the email, live at asknoahshow.com, make your voice heard, become a part of the program. Uh, responding to the chat room, how do you set up Volumio? It's uh, it's pretty straightforward. Um, you download the uh, image and you flash it to a SD card with DD, and uh, you stick the SD card in the pie and you turn it on. And that is all there is to it. And it's interesting because I, for a long time, I've gone on the air a couple of different times and said, I do not agree with using Raspberry Pis in production. I don't like Raspberry Pi home automation stuff. I don't like Raspberry Pi controlled this, that, and the other. And uh, I have one device that's running on Raspberry Pi, my Volumio device. And I have in the mail a second device, which we're going to talk about tonight, that is going to be running a second piece of infrastructure in my house. So I might have to eat crow there. And that device is going to be running something that's going to allow me to do DMR. What is DMR? Well, DMR is digital mobile radio. So essentially, it was designed as a European standard for commercial radio and for businesses. But and, and here in the United States, Motorola has taken a strong stance in supporting DMR and setting up DMR, deploying DMR, selling commercial made DMR solutions. But 
what it does is it encodes audio as ones and zeros, much like we're doing with asterisks and, and, and here at the studio and all of that. And it uses frequency shift keying on FM instead of modulating your voice with FM. So that's nerd speak for <clears throat> it doesn't actually change the frequency to represent your voice, it changes the frequency uh, up and down to, to represent a zero or a one. Now, the advantage of modulating DMR over traditional voice is that it's all or nothing. You either have a perfect signal or you have no signal at all because DMR knows no bound. It, does, it doesn't know a middle ground. DMR uses something called TDMA, which is also used if you've heard of CDMA. It's, it's, it's how to explain It's similar, not, not exactly the same. But what TDMA is, is time division multiple access. Typically, for each simultaneous conversation, you need a separate channel or a separate frequency. So if you want to have four simultaneous conversations going on, then you have to have four frequencies or four channels. The problem with a traditional layout like that is when you have one frequency that is not being used, it just sits there. And perhaps on one of the other alternative frequencies, there are people that are waiting to have a conversation. So I'll break it up like this. Let's say you have a... Uh, a police, a city, and you have a police department and a fire department and a ambulance and the police are getting calls all day long. So their frequency is just jam packed. And they're, you know, there's a dispatcher always trying to get a hold of a law enforcement officer to send them somewhere. And the fire department, you have, you know, they're moderately in use, you know, uh, probably one out of every other call. They, you know, they send the uh, fire truck out with the, the, the fire or with the um, police department because they don't know exactly what the nature of the emergency is. But the hospital, the ambulance, they never really get dispatched because most of the time the, the, they're sending the ambulances out from the fire department. And so the ones that are at the hospital, that channel is maybe never used. And so you're occupying three frequencies. And what you have is one frequency that's not used very much, one frequency that could be used a little bit more, and one that is overloaded. And so how do we manage that? And there's a couple of different tricks that we've come up with over the years to manage this. One of those tricks is TDMA. And you can think of TDMA a lot like the movies where you have a, a series of pictures, usually 30, 24 or 30 pictures, and they are shown in a sequence so quickly that they appear to, in fact, be in motion. But it's actually a trick. They're not in motion. They're actually 30 individual still pictures that were taken. They were just taken so quickly that and displayed so quickly that your eye can't distinguish the difference. Well, TDMA is a lot the same. TDMA essentially alternates every 50 milliseconds from one time slot to the other time slot. So let's say you have, let's say you have one frequency and you have these two time slots, we'll call them A and B. It plays, it listens and then plays frequency time slot A for 50 milliseconds and then switches and goes to frequency or time slot B for 50 milliseconds and then back to A for 50 milliseconds and back to B for 50 milliseconds. And because there's not a significant amount of change in in a given voice message in 50 milliseconds neither side notices that they're missing the other 50 milliseconds and so what you result in what results is the in effect the ability to have two simultaneous conversations for every one frequency and of course that's with a two slot tdma channel of course you could have a four slot or a six slot or an eight slot but as you might imagine the more the more tdma slots that we file into a given frequency the more degradation of quality there is because obviously you have less and less time that you're actually listening to whatever message you're subscribed to, right? So TDMA alternates every 50 milliseconds. And so you can have two simultaneous conversations. Now, 
the conversations, in addition to being divided into a time slot, can be identified as a talk group. And what that allows is it allows us to categorize and and describe the conversations that are occurring. So, for example, traditionally in ham radio, for example, we just have a given frequency and and all of us in the community happen to know that that frequency is used for this per general purpose. I'll give you an example. 146.520 megahertz. 146.52 is what we call the national calling frequency. So if you're driving around in your car or walking around with your handheld and you just want to be available to chat, 146.52 megahertz is the is where you're going to be. When I go to conferences and I cuz I always say hello to the hams when I'm at a conference, always jump on 52 and say hello to any of the hams that are there. And then oftentimes we'll switch to a repeater or maybe we'll move to a different frequency because there's a lot of traffic on on that that given frequency. But we always start on 146.52 and it's just kind of understood that that is the national, that's the calling frequency for hams. Um, but there's nothing that would, if you're a new ham, there's nothing that would tell you on your radio, like this is the place to go to learn, you know, to talk to people. You just have to kind of know that. And so it's not very descriptive. And by the way, this would be a really great point to add. Every time we have done a segment on ham radio or talked a little bit about ham radio, we've gotten nothing but positive feedback. I haven't gotten a single email, text message, telegram, none of it that says, you know, man, I'm really getting burnt out on the ham radio stuff. Could you please tone it back? So if that's you, if you're getting there and you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of I'm sick of hearing about ham radio or it's not for me. Let us know that that because all we're, we're just getting a lot of positive feedback. And so we're, we're kind of doubling down with it and, and doing more. And we'll keep the discussions, you know germane enough to, even if you don't have a license that you can say oh that's kind of cool that's what that hobby's about uh so we're not going to get drug way down in the weeds but just if if you're out there and you're listening to this and you're saying hey you know i really wish you would talk more about linux and a little less about ham radio speak up although we're going to try and tie this back into linux as well so uh so we we have these we have these we have these nondescript ways of identifying communication in traditional ham radio. Well, DMR allows us to specify talk groups, and we can name talk groups. So we can literally have a you know like a national calling frequency talk 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 group. And so, for example, there is a Midwest DMR talk group, and so if anybody that lives in the Midwest joins that talk groups and they're able to have a conversation. Now, what's interesting about DMR is because it encodes voice as ones and zeros, that means that we can take that audio and encode it into an IP packet and send it across the internet. Now, I am not the guy that really wants to connect my ham radio to the cloud, okay? That's this is the last program where we're, where I'm going to where I'm really advocating for that. But at the same time, one of the things that became apparent to me as I was at Southeast Linux Fest and talking with a couple of hams and, and answering some questions from some new hams is there is this idea that ham radio is an outdated hobby where there's just, you know, dials and 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 big antennas and and weird people with headset and electrodes strapped to their heads and doing crazy things, right? And don't get me wrong, there is a there is definitely a segment of ham radio that is about that. But ham radio has always been on the leading edge, and I believe will always continue to be on the leading edge. And DMR is a perfect representation of that. So we're going to talk about it on the program. And I have started to play with it a little bit, not because I necessarily want to embrace the whole cloud ham radio thing, but because I think it's important to experiment with technology wherever it is. And also because I think it has a fundamental tie to this program and an ability to allow people to communicate with this program in kind of a new, cool, uh, kind of a niche way. That and then the bottom line is, is when I say it's cloud because it's connected to the internet, but the truth is I own all the infrastructure. It's all 
boxes that are going to be sitting at my house, except for your equipment, which should be sitting at your house. So all we need to facilitate this is some boxes and some radios and some software. The only difference is we are going to, we're going to, we're going to tie the internet in here in a little bit. So DMR, obviously you can turn two radios on and you can just talk from one radio to the other through DMR. But because we can encode those, uh, those audio uh, bits as IP packets, we can send them across the internet. And that's where this idea of a DMR hotspot comes into play. Now, a DMR hotspot is quite literally a special piece of software with uh, that is on a Raspberry Pi with a small, tiny little uh, trans radio connected to it. And uh, we have a link in the show notes to a pre-made one, so you can just buy one pre-made. Of course, you can buy the individual components and assemble it yourself for much cheaper. But you can build this little hotspot, and essentially what this little hotspot will allow you to do is you can join, like, we're going to create the Ask Noah uh, talk group, for example. And what you'll be able to do is if you buy one of these little hotspots and you have a DMR radio, you can, key, and your ham, you can key up and talk into that DMR talk group from anywhere in the world. And it will go RF to your hotspot. Then the hotspot will encode those and send those packets as IP audio over to us over here at the studio. And then from the studio, it'll come back out and emit as RF and all it'll be received by my little DMR handheld, which I have right here. Uh, and so we'll be able to have a conversation on the air without having to break out an FT-1000 Mark V. Like we can do it on little tiny handhelds and anybody can participate with this. If you have a hammer, if you can answer 35 questions, which they give you the questions and wrong answers ahead of time, uh, literally had people that barely studied for the test and just decided at Linux Fest to take it. If you are one of those people, then it would be kind of a cool way to, without any, you don't have to pay a subscription fee. There's no, you know, uh, minutes to buy or anything like that. You just literally plug, you know, connect your radio up, join the correct talk group, and we would be able to chat. And so if that's something that anybody is interested in doing, we'd be interested in having you on the show. And I would be willing to make the infrastructure investment to tie this DMR system into our broadcast system so that we could talk over DMR doing the show. And I've also, before anyone writes me any hate mail, I've had some conversations with VEs uh, and and a number of different ham radio operators. And I've said, this is the premise of the show. This is how I plan to use the show. Is this violating any of the part 15 rules about broadcasting stuff like that? The answer is no, because all of the conversation you and I, as the other ham will have, will be just between you and I, it will just happen to be, be rebroadcasting. And nobody that is, you know, from the broadcast is obviously going to join that DMR conversation. Uh, there are commercial ways to do this. Motorola has been doing this with their Motorola Connect. It's basically a big DMR repeater. It's a couple thousand dollars. Um, but that is designed, whereas this little hotspot is designed to work inside of your house. And you can go, you know, maybe a couple blocks or whatever. This DMR repeater is designed to cover an entire city. So if your local ham club were interested in doing something like this, obviously you could make the investment to buy this DMR repeater, put it in at your local ham club, and then your entire city would be able to talk over DMR. And of course, uh, <clears throat> you can somehow convince them to join the Asanoa talk group whenever that happens to be a thing. That'd be really cool too. But anyway, I thought that was really cool that for, for literally the cost of a Raspberry Pi and this DMR handheld, which by the way, you can buy the uh, Motorola DMR handhelds, which are like five, $600. Or we have linked in the show notes, these uh, Titera, they're like a Chinese knockoff of a Motorola, but they're really, really well built. Actually, I really like them. I, I've played with like the, 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 um, like the Beofungs and stuff like that. And you can tell that they are not, they're not made by Yesu or anything like that. But these uh, Titeras, I mean, they're, it's definitely not a Motorola, 
but they're a good radio and uh, they're only 99 bucks and they do DMR. So that's pretty cool. Again, open phones, one 855 noah That's 855-450-6624. The email, live at asknoahshow.com. Chris from West Virginia joins us on his free PBX system. Hey, Chris. CQ, CQ, CQ. Hey, so you said... Oh, wait, wait. I'm sorry. Wrong. This is PBX. I'm sorry. Well, you know, you said this was going to be your first contact. I just, that's not quite what I had in mind, Chris. <laughs> so tell me, you know, you so said this... I, you, I, I did miss... No, go ahead. I did miss the beginning of the show. Uh, you and I talked beforehand, so I don't know what you've talked about. I've only been listening for the last eight minutes. Okay, so. well, what I told them was that free PBX is a scam, and they should go down to Verizon and sign up for their uh, unlimited plan. Absolutely not. <laughs> no, but uh, you, you talk a little bit about what you set up at your house, because you, prior to having this PBX system, you actually had a difficulty placing phone calls, sending and receiving phone calls from your house. Well, first of all, how do I sound? I think you sound great. Because I have a subpar internet connection. Um, this is a PBX running on a, uh, a droplet on Vulture. Um, I installed the uh, free PBX. It's costing me literally pennies to run. Uh, I have a Mitel 5212 IP phone sitting on my desk that I'm talking to you on, and I carry with me on my cell phone a PBX or a SIP software that both when people call this number, both my phone and this Mitel on my desk ring at the same time. And it so is fantastic. And I mean, it works so well. And this is a way that you can take your, you can run your business from literally anywhere because you could, like, let's say you're going to self and you're like, well, I got to take my business with me. You can unplug that Mitel phone from your desk and plug it into any internet connection anywhere in the world. And the stupid thing will boot right up and go, okay, now my extension rings here today. Wow. Yeah, yeah, I know, you know what? I never thought of that. That's why I put the software on my cell phone because, but yeah, I, I really could. I could take that anywhere. I could take a little switch with me into the the uh, the room, providing the room has internet connection, drop the switch, drop the uh, phone, stick my laptop there, and continue to work. Yeah, I'm a huge I'm a huge fan of it. Well, I appreciate the demonstration, and uh, you know, it's you're one of those. It's kind of funny because you implement all of the things that I talk about and want to implement, but you're doing them right now. So it's it's kind of a cool like parallel universe thing because I can talk about like, well, eight years ago I set this up, and then you're like. Well, as you're talking about it to the Ask Noah Show listeners, turns out I'm doing it right now. And what's funny about that was you have taken that to a different level because now you have started a, an entire subdivision of the Ask Noah Show people that are that are forming around this idea of small business. And I'm I'm really pleased to be a part of it. And you've you know you've really taken you know a, a, you know a really strong lead and developed this little community around building small businesses and answering questions and stuff like that. And of course, obviously there was a discussion on SIP in there just a couple of, well, I think it was today actually, or maybe a couple of days ago, I saw a conversation about SIP going on and you're like, Hey, they're actually doing an episode about that. And so there's this, now we have the, I have this like symbiotic relationship with this small business community that ties into the Ask Noah show. Oh yeah. We, we just announced the telegram group, um, at self. Yeah, Saturday. It yeah. has exploded. It has exploded so much uh, that we've created a wiki now, if you'd like to share that, or uh, the Telegram group 
Well, people have already found the Telegram group link. Uh, the wiki is exploding. People have uh, stepped forth and created a wiki on GitLabs, and everything that gets discussed in the group, someone who knows something about it goes to the wiki and says, well, this is services, or here's how you know you can connect. Yeah, the, there's just, it's, the information is just compiling. And I even said today that we have become our own little small business open source community because a lot of the stuff is open source technology running on Linux. Man, I love this idea of this knowledge base where you're taking all the questions that people are answering. Because, you know, the thing is, like, you, you guys have this discussion and you all hash out, like, all of these different solutions. And then we, you guys all kind of settle on, well, this is probably what we all, what the group agrees is probably the right way to go. And then somebody joins the group and goes, so here's the same question that guy just asked. And you guys are all like, okay, we need to have, like, a central place to document all of this stuff so that when the same, we can just point, here, go over here. We have all this written out for you. We have it all explained. Uh, and so that I think is really, really cool. And so this knowledge base is going to be a real thing. And um, so we'll have a link to the knowledge base. We'll have a link to the Telegram group in the show notes. And Krista Luca, thanks again for joining us. Well, absolutely. I just wanted to share with the, the people who are asking. Again, I have a poor internet connection and the phone call sounds amazing. So PBX is real. SIP is real. Long live Linux. Yeah, there you go. And you know, if we did this, uh, if we had done this a slightly different way, if we if he had connected, there's a way to place a SIP call directly to our SIP server. It would actually use a wideband codec, and it would use G722 instead of the lowest common denominator G711 or, or EULA, which is what's needed to transition the public phone system. Again, open phone lines at one eight five five four five zero NOAA. That's eight fifty five four fifty NOAA. In two thousand nine, when I started Alta Speed, there I was talking earlier at the top of the hour. There were so many moving parts to a business. You have to file for a tax number to let the government know how much money you're making, which you know when I first started was nothing. Uh, you have to open a bank account so you can put the money that you don't make in there. You have to hire somebody to design a website, or you have to design a website. You have to get a phone number, set up a phone system. You have to have a logo designed. You have to do branding. You have to do outreach. And, um, you know, I, I remember when I sat in a couple of my business classes back in college, and they would they would try to codify everything, you know. And so we'd learn about, you know, we were talking about starting a business, and they would teach it in this method of SWAT. So that you identify your strengths and your weaknesses. And, you know, the the thing about stuff like that to me is I feel like there are some of us anybody can start a small business. Anybody can work to learn these concepts and stuff like that. But there are some of us that are just kind of born with this innate idea of, well, that's a good idea and that's a bad idea. And and North Dakota wisdom tells me that my strength is this and my North Dakota wisdom tells me my weakness is that. And I don't necessarily have to write that out in some sort of templated form to be able to understand that. I just, I can look over and say that, that we should not be doing that. That's a real weakness for us. Or, hey, we're doing a really good job over there. That's a, that's a good strength, right? And those are, I've taken that for granted a lot because it just kind of comes naturally to me. But a lot of people would have just taken out a $20,000 business loan and uh, and that's how they would have uh, funded the website and the phone system and the logo and stuff like that. And uh, I didn't do that. I, I never, I, I took 200 bucks and I put it into a checking account, <clears throat> called it the loan from myself to, to my business. And uh, I spent every dollar of that money extremely carefully, extremely exceedingly carefully. Uh, and and built the business up into what is today AltaSpeed Technologies because small business is risky and debt adds risks to an already risky uh, business. And so I created the webpage. I set up the phone system. I created the logo. And when I created the logo, I showed it to friends. I showed it to family. I showed it to other business owners. We made t-shirts. We made jackets. We made business cards, pens, bottle openers. We wrapped my Jeep 
in uh, in in a big wrap that had the Ultra Speed Technology logos. And it, and it wasn't until we hired this 18-year-old girl that was right out of high school, and I just she was she was coming in for like a couple hours a day just to answer phones and kind of uh, you know call people call customers back and 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 kind of follow up with them just to make it sound a little bit bigger than it was just me answering the phone and doing everything. I thought it would give it a little bit you know, bigger of an image. So well, I wasn't paying her very much, but she came in just for a couple hours after school. And for the most part, she just sat around, but she was able to make some calls and, and do some things. And it, it kind of helped out the image. And she's sitting back in the chair very first day. And she's like, Hey, y'all know your logo looks like, um, ah, yeah. Why didn't anybody else tell me that? Like, why are all you, be I showed all you people this stuff. Nobody has told me that. And the thing is the purpose of a logo is to represent the business, but it's also to give away people a visual way to recognize the business because we are a visual creature and uh, we have maybe 10 clients in Fargo, North Dakota. And I'm, so I'm there maybe at the absolute most once a month. And the last time I was down there, I had a gal at the gas station. She goes, Oh, Alta Speed, you're the guys that drive those little blue Jeeps around. Well, we don't have company vehicles. I have a blue Jeep. Nobody else has a blue Jeep that I'm aware of. Uh, and I had to ask her, I said, uh, so you recognize my vehicle? And she goes, yeah, it's the one with the, um, <clears throat> distinctive logo on it. And so you say what you want about my graphic design abilities or lack thereof, but people recognize and have come to trust the, the brand that is Alta Speed Technologies. Now, 2019 is going to mark a 10 year anniversary for us, and we are growing at an incredible pace. So. I th we have decided that it's time for a refresh of our image at AltaSpeed, and we're going to give the listeners of the Ask Noah show a chance to be a part of that refresh. Now, before I go on, there were some people from the Inkscape project that actually offered to help us with our logo refresh, and if that offer still stands, please reach out to me. I don't know how to get in contact with you guys. I remember that offer being there somewhere. I don't know who it was specifically that made it, but I'm interested in talking with you. The deal I'm about to talk about applies to you guys. Uh, but just if, if you're interested, I'd, I'd like to talk to you more in depth rather than just have you guys submit things through the way we're going to ask everybody else to do it. <clears throat> so hot off the Alta speed desk. Uh, so whoever handles these things for me, I, I don't really know, but Alta speed technologies was founded in 2009 with only $200 in a startup fund and has grown to a national presence with employees and clients all around the U S Alta speeds. First logo was designed by somebody with no experience, no artistic talent and no formal training. But as the saying goes, the price was right. The logo, despite any flaws or likeness to anatomy has served us well for nine years. While we cherish the AltaSpeed brand, we also believe that it's important to keep things fresh and new. AltaSpeed Technologies has always been on the cutting edge, and that goes for both our branding as well as our technology. So we're looking for a talented artist to bring a fresh design to our new logo. With 10 years of history behind our existing logo, we are looking for a logo which has some sort of resemblance to the existing one, making it recognizable to our existing clients. Our new logo should... Also respect the company's roots, but since this logo will likely be used for the next 10 years, we need to be careful about the thought that is put into the design. Many of our products and services have been styled with an orange on black color scheme, and while we welcome change, unless you propose a color scheme that works better, the style should still be orange on black. Here are some conditions which, which if not met will disqualify your design altogether. The designer must be willing to deliver the project in SVG format. We would prefer that if you use open source designs, but at, at a minimum, an SVG project file must be submitted if we choose your design. And uh, it goes on, blah, blah, blah. You have to relinquish all the rights and stuff. We'll have all those details for you at podcast.asknoahshow.com. And uh, if you want to submit a design, logo at altaspeed.com. The prize will be 300 bucks, and we'll announce the winner on this here show. And did you know the show is available as a downloadable podcast? That's right. To subscribe to the feed or download the latest episode, visit podcast.asknoahshow.com. There you'll find not only the latest episode, but all of the articles and materials referenced in this episode. You can get the latest, of course, by following us on Twitter at Ask Noah Show. 
The Ask Noah Show continues next Tuesday at 6 p.m. Central. Huge thanks to Vox Telesis for providing our phone systems. Ben, our producer, and Sarah, our call screener. This hour of the show may be over, but there's plenty more content for you 24-7 at asknoahshow.com. Thank you.